But if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and the scripture this week will be 19 through 31. And it says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid up at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame, or in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. When you consider this as a parable, it's unique in many ways. And one of the first things is the question of how it should be studied. Because some people say that this this is a real event that happened, that Jesus, I mean, it, and it's practical that he could have had knowledge of the afterlife. So some people say should it be studied as a parable or a historical event. And um, what's, what's that's, that's kind of based on is some of the detailed information that's maybe in this parable that's not always in some of the other parables, um, where it's talking about the rich man, even though he's not named, it's very descriptive, talking about the fine linens and the purple, how he's dressed. But, but I think one that really highlights it is the beggar is named Lazarus. And you don't see, and I'm not sure if there's any other parables where people are named that I can that I can recall in my studies of it. So it's very unique that, you know, here's Jesus naming the beggar um, in the parable. And he's also talking about the fact that they have Moses and the prophets. Now, you know, during this time, uh, Jesus had not been crucified yet, so they would they would still be living under what? the Old Testament, the Old Law, that's why they had Moses and the prophets. Um, so with these details, it's, it's caused some people to tend to lean towards the fact that it, it was a real event um, that happened. And then, too, when you think about Lazarus, there's another Lazarus in the Bible um, that we think about, but these two I don't think are, well... I'm pretty sure they're not the same people, 
But what, what, what do we know about the other Lazarus that's mentioned in the New Testament? Raised from the dead. And that's in uh, John 11, 1 through 44. But even going back to our first lesson, we were talking about the introduction of parables. We said that parables need to be studied as living messages because they are all really life situations. And we can see this as a life situation, a life and death situation. And we said that parables were either true or capable of being true. And we're going to find that to be the case, too, as we go through the study of the rich man and Lazarus here. So uh, any, yes, right. And, and that's talked about because, you know, a lot of people, when they have a near-death experience, say they see that white light and that tunnel, and then they come back and they say they've heard this and that and the other. This kind of flies in the face of that when it says, hey, nobody, nobody can go back, right? So I, they see something, but, it, but it's not this, yeah. Well, it's throwing a long is thrown alongside of something else, right? Yeah, yeah. So we said, and I think, if I say I remember, Jeremy even said it's like a heavenly, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and we said that's how a lot of people define it, um, and that's the case on a lot of parables, but that's not the case on every parable. But, yeah, a parable is literally thrown alongside, you know, for comparison, and that's, a definition there. Any other questions or comments? So it says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So Jesus, even though he didn't name this man, was very pacific in describing him. Uh, purple being a, a sign of like royalty or, or money. And uh, as it appears in this, this, this man here was definitely wealthy. But it says in 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of swords who was laid at his gate. And it's interesting because when you look at the last part, when it says he was laid at his gate, it gives the idea that he personally couldn't walk there every day to be at the gate, that he physically had to be carried there probably by somebody else and laid at the gate, um, which gives us a, a glimpse into his physical condition and then also with his sores. And, uh, and as it says in the next verse, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and, and licked his sores. So uh, not in the very best of state or conditions there. And it's interesting, and I know some of some of you people are dog people too, but it is funny when, when you get a sore or cut or something how a dog does want to lick it. And uh, I know Susan's a big dog person, and she's shaking her, her head back there. But it's, yeah, the rich man, we don't know his name. We only know the name of the beggar, which is Lazarus. But, yeah, but the rich man didn't. And who does that? And when I was studying that, there's another parable. Who does that remind you of in another parable we talked about? Exactly. And when you look at it, these two guys are very similar in nature because neither one was really preparing for death, right? It was pretty much all about them. Uh, the guy building bigger barns, he wasn't planning on dying. 
I guess that's possible, but when it says he was laid at his gate, it kind of gives the impression that I took it as he was brought there daily, um, but I guess it is possible that he could have stayed there. But even if he was brought there daily, I think the same thing could apply to dogs that are in that general area probably would come there daily because they would know he's there. So either way, I think it would apply, and it doesn't. Regardless, I don't think it changes a whole lot in the context of, of what we're talking about. And I know, Jim, you had your, your hand raised as well. And that's what you're saying is kind of a point I have towards the end of the lesson. How many of us would envy Lazarus in his condition and say, hey, I want to be like him? And then how many of us would envy the rich man, right? But which one was in favor with God? Which, which one had the better end result? But when you think about it from an earthly standpoint, when we're here on earth, we would say, hey, I'd like to be like the rich man. Nobody would say, I want to be like Lazarus and be laying at a gate begging, right? So it does emphasize that he, you know, and maybe he's named because he is the one that's in the right relationship with God. And that's how we should um, be as one that is humble in favor with God. And maybe that's what he's trying to, to bring out there. Yes, Eric? But, yeah, it's not, it's, Christianity is not a religion of health and wealth, is it? And if it was, we couldn't build a, big, a building big enough to fit people in here today. Um, we are going to, as James tells us, have those trials and temptations. And if it was all about health and wealth, I mean, there would be more people in the world saved than there would be lost because it would be easy, easy to get people to be Christians if it was about that. But going back to... Um, talking about eating the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And I don't know if this is true or not. And as Jim says, you can read a thousand and one different commentaries on this here. You read and you kind of take it in. But one commentary I read said that in that time it was custom not to eat with like a knife and fork like we do now, but people would eat with their hands. And what they would do is actually take a piece of bread and wipe their hands with it to clean it. And that's what they would throw down to the dogs to eat. And that's what this rich man was basically wanting was the bread that was thrown down that the rich man had wiped his hands with. Now, whether that's 100% accurate or not, I don't know. But it does kind of put in perspective what the beggar was asking for, I think. And it wasn't a whole lot if that's what he wants. Yes, Tony. We don't know exactly 100% from the scripture. I'm just saying that they said that was a custom of that time is they would use the bread to wipe their hands and they would throw it from the table for dogs to eat. So they they were just saying that's a possibility because that was a custom of the way they ate at that time. They didn't, they used their hands and just picked up the food and ate. Right. And that's what this commentator w was mentioning. So whether it's 100% accurate in this case or not, it, I think it just kind of helps put things in perspective of what the beggar was asking for is why I wanted to bring that out. So going to verse 22, it says, So it was the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So we can see here that both men died, and as we mentioned, as is often the case, really don't think the rich man had much warning. I don't really think that was something he had planned. Um, 
as far as dying, and he definitely hadn't lived and prepared himself spiritually, as we can see here, for death. And I think it's true, you know, of us a lot of times. If we think about our life, we can think, too, we, we have many days left. We have more opportunities left. Why should I accept God now? Why should I do this now? Let me live for me. I need to fix this first. I need to do that first. And we keep putting it off, and I think that's that's what we see here. Yes. Well, and that's one thing. It really doesn't give us a good description of exactly what Abraham's bosom means, okay, or the details of it. But I think what what we need to understand as we think about this, and this is another thing that's confusing as you go through the translation of many New Testaments. Hades and hell are a lot of times, there's two different places, but hell is used a lot of times where Hades should be used because Hades is basically the place of the dead. When we die, we're all going basically to Hades, right, until the day of judgment um, is the way I understand it. So, but it does also tend to, to lead here as we read this parable that even in Hades, there's a place for those that died in favor with God and there's a place for those that died out of favor with God. And between those two places, you can't pass back and forth. But we're all going to be, if we die before the Lord returns in Hades, until that point in time when Jesus comes back to give us our final judgment, then it'll either be heaven or hell. But yeah, it's um, it doesn't give us a whole lot more detail than just that. And um, and even going back, and it, and this is my humble opinion based on my studies, but when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he told the thief, he says, "You'll be with me today in paradise." I don't think that was heaven. They're talking about Hades, and they're talking about probably being in Abraham's bosom, being in the place because what we know. Even though Jesus' physical body was buried and it rose again on the third day, his soul, I think it's Acts 2.31, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, turn to Acts 2.31 for a second. Acts 2.31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And I'm sure some of you probably have hell there in your translation. Yeah, Sherry, you're shaking your head. What, do you have the King James? Yeah, and I have the new King James, and it says Hades. And that's where I was saying the translation has not always been accurate when you know we're talking about hell and Hades. So when it says that his soul went to Hades, talking about Jesus Christ, when he told the thief, today you're going to be with me in paradise, that's where I think he was talking about is in Hades, not in heaven, right? Because he hasn't come back he hasn't given the final judgment so there was nobody going to heaven or hell they were either in Hades and they were in the place that yes you died and you were in favor with God so Abraham's bosom so to speak or either you were in torment like we see here um, with the rich man that died so if that maybe helps explain a little bit that's my understanding of it yeah and my understanding of hell, where the word originated from, and I read this in a commentary, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the garbage dump in Jerusalem is where hell 
the, the word originated from, and then it was later applied to the the place if of. You've uh, ever been to a garbage yeah. So if that kind of helps explain that, and I think that's why it's so fascinating when you see how all this sort of intertwines together. So in verse 24, it says, Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, from, from and beside, let me find my place. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. It's a glasses problem. So I went to the eye doctor last week. They said your readers need to be increased by about two um, magnifications. So. Can't wait to get them. <laughs> uh, it's been about three years since I've had an updated prescription on my glasses. But anyway, think about this. You know, the, the rich man is in torment, and we think about his sin. He wasn't, as far as we know, a murderer, not an adulterer. Um, as far as we know, he didn't cheat anybody to get the money that he had. His sin wasn't that he was rich. So what was the sin? How he used his riches. Yes, Julie, I saw you. Yeah, it's kind of like the rich man that was building bigger barns. He didn't think about his neighbors. He didn't think about the people that worked in his fields and helped with his crops. It was all about him as far as we could tell. Yes, Eric. Yeah, I think it's, you know, he failed to employ his riches for the benefit of fellow man. It is a big problem here. He was keeping things. I'm sure he knew Lazarus was out at that gate, right? Instead of just giving him the crumbs from the table, why not give him the leftovers? Why not, hey, give him a decent meal. Take him, fix him a little extra if you have tons of food and money and whatever. Take him a meal. Um, and I think that's where he failed. Yes. Yeah, because it's, it's really not necessarily his physical body that's there it's his, his spiritual body right that's in the Hadean realm yeah but I think you know what this verse here these these few scriptures here point out that death is permanent and it um, or it death permanently determines our our destination our eternal destination he said there's a great gulf fixed you can't go between Abraham was a was explicit when he answered the rich man's request to send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water water, and put it on his tongue. You know, he said, you can't, you can't go between. There's no, there's no way to go from one place to the other. He said there's a great gulf fixed. Um, and going back to what we were just touching on, I had this in my notes here. It also contradicts some of the denominational teachings that we touched on uh, last week, like uh, Millennialism thinks there's going to be a thousand-year reign. We'll have time to get things right. Um, you know, it's not final per se. Well, doesn't lead you to believe that when you read these scriptures here. So, also purgatory. I had that noted again as well. Nothing that we can do with purgatory to 
to help our state once we cross the line of death. Same thing with the Mormon doctrine as we talked about for baptism of the dead. You know, it doesn't appear here that that's the case either. And even Jehovah Witnesses who teach like a second chance obedience, it all kind of flies in the face of it when you read this. Um, but I think it very, very well points out that death is the dividing line. Yeah. And I think, you know, and Jim brought this out, that the, the rich man could apply to every, each and every one of us. You know, when you think about the, the country we live in, what we're blessed with individually, what we're blessed with as a congregation, compared to a lot of people in the world, we gotta be we got to be careful. We very easily could be the rich man in the story because we live in a nation that measures your social status on what you have. And... Whatever you have is never enough. You got to have more. And if you don't have it, that's okay. Just go get a credit card and then you can get more. You know, it's just, it's all, we live in a society that's all about material goods. And I think it is a lesson that we, we got to be careful. We can very easily be the rich man. Yes, Jim. I think so. Yeah. And I also understand there's also the point that, you know, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. So, you got, we got to be careful not to enable people that don't want to help themselves. But people that want to help themselves, especially within the church, I think we have a responsibility to help them if they're trying to help themselves. And I think, you know, we we got to realize that here as we, we look at this parable. Then in verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, um, though one rise from the dead. So how many times, thinking about, back in certain situations maybe things didn't go the way we wanted to and we said man if I'd only known isn't that pretty much what the rich man is saying here if I'd only known but when we think about being a Christian we can't on that day of judgment blame it on ignorance I can't blame it on you I can't blame it on anybody else I can't blame it on God the only person I have to blame is myself because Christianity is an individual responsibility and we have to take it upon ourselves to make sure we ensure our own salvation. Yes, Jeff. Think about how many people saw and heard him and saw his miracles and didn't believe. Yeah. Yeah, you can lead a horse to water, right? But, you, yeah, that's the, yeah, it's just a heart condition sometimes. And, uh, yes, Susan. Very true. Okay, just I know I'm over, but bear with me. I just got a couple of things I want to point out here, and I'm going to finish up. I think one thing this parable suggests is the recognition of persons and states after we go into the next life. And what I mean by that, the rich man, and I think somebody, Mike, you might have said it, rec the rich man recognized Lazarus. Abraham rec recognized the, ri the rich man. The, the rich man remembered Moses and the prophets, as you think about the parable. And the rich man also remembered his brothers back on earth and was concerned about their salvation. So it does give you a glimpse a little bit into the afterlife that we will have a state of recognition. So 
In conclusion, whether this parable is true or fictional, I think it does teach us about the certainty of death and the actuality of reward and punishment in the afterlife, and I think we have to realize that. It honestly reveals to us the fate of those who neglect God. If we think about the rich man, is not pretty. I don't think it's desirable for any of us. So we need to make sure we're doing now what we need to do to ensure our salvation. Um, God's not going to spend or really send a special vision from the world of the dead to help save us. What we have is his word. We have his son, Jesus Christ. So the call to repentance must be answered before it's too late. There's no time to waste in making a decision about God. And if you think about it, and I know Jim said this many times, every time he gives the invitation, you respond whether you realize it or not. You either respond and say, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Or you may say, hey, I need prayers or I need to be baptized. You may go forward. But every time the invitation is given, we're evaluating our own salvation in our mind, and we respond whether we realize it or not. So I hope the study's been beneficial. I know it has been for me. And like I said, we'll still touch on a few parables coming up, but uh, appreciate your time and your patience. So thank you.